0: welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. This is perhaps one of the oddest experiences I've had recording a podcast. I am sitting in a rental car outside of the rehab center here at the University of Utah. And in the 60 seconds that it took me to set up my computer and all of that here in the car. It went from sunny to rainy to snowing. And um, I'm here, obviously, to visit my brother-in-law and after his accident. And it's just sort of a time vortex being here. I talked about this a little bit on stories, but I think there is something so unique about the experience of having family in the hospital for an extended period of time because it's almost said on Instagram it's almost like severance where it's like there's a world inside the hospital and a world outside the hospital and because your person is in there well it's actually not like severance because those are two totally separate things instead it's that a part of your mind is there and and so immersed in this world of the hospital we've literally we've been here for 2 days so what i'm experiencing is a teeny tiny fraction of what my husband's family has already been going through for the last month and so many other families have gone through for years where You get home at night and you're still thinking about the things that you forgot at the hospital and you wake up and you're thinking about that. And then I knew I had some work to do, but I couldn't. I knew I was going to record this podcast today, but I knew there was other stuff I was supposed to do and I could not for the life of me remember. It was like I had left everything on my metaphorical desk in New York and I couldn't. I'd entered this whole other world here and I just couldn't even remember what was going on there? So I, but I've been anchoring myself with this phrase oh, wait, I don't even think I finished why this setup particularly is weird. There is this complex, medical complex is huge. And I came here thinking, okay, I'll record from the car. And then I got here and I realized, oh, this is why there's valet at the rehab center. Every single spot is reserved for someone. It's like reserved for permit 371. And so I pull up to the uh, valet guys and I'm like, um, they're like, hey, are you like, are you coming in? You need your car valet? I was like, yes, but I need to take a work call from my car first. So could I just have you park the car and I can come with you and then I can just stay in the car and then I will bring you back um, the keys? And they're like, yeah. And also as an aside related to nothing, People, I don't know if it's all people, there are a lot of very attractive men who work at this rehabilitation center. It's almost like, you know, at the Olympics, when, is it the Swedish team that comes out and you're like, why do they all look like models? Why do all of the athletes from this country look like Carly Kloss? They just, all of the guys that, whether it's the male nurses or, I mean, this male nurse last night, Spencer, that the that aaron loves walks in he's like six six broad he looks like a cartoon character of a handsome guy almost like the like perfect swept back blonde hair you know how like the the hot brawny guy in a cartoon is like a little bit larger than life in his body persona and then the guys at the valet are just like all the hottest guys. He's just like really good-looking, twenty-something guys. I'm like, is it? What is it about Salt Lake City? What is? Is there something in the water up here? So, anyways, fun fact. If anyone has a single twenty-something woman in their life who's looking for love, you might want to consider Salt Lake City. Um, so, back on track with thinking so much about time here. The Aaron's time in the hospital, our time with Aaron, time not being at home, like, I've been trying to anchor myself with a phrase that I mentioned in last week's episode. And I heard it from Tara Brock, who is a meditation teacher. And it was she had heard it it had been spoken by someone who a woman who had been given a terminal diagnosis of a year to live, and she had a small child. And her response to this news was, well, then I don't have time to rush. I don't have time to rush. And I first heard that a handful of months ago, and every time I remember it, it helps me. And yet I don't remember it as often as I could be helped by it. And it's why for me in the Elegant Excellence Journal the first page of our priorities section, which is the section where you're not writing these pages again and again. You have kind of core things that when you sit down to journal, you're turning back to these pages to remember and to keep reflecting on. And the first page there is anchoring phrases. And for me, that's really why, because We're constantly taking in so much new information, right? Every day I open Instagram and there's some interesting stat, interesting story, interesting thing that I'm hearing in the news or about psychology or in someone's story. I'm constantly taking new stuff in and we're getting more new information times a million than our grandmothers were on a daily basis. And that is so wonderful, all that we have access to, but it also can mean that very little sinks in deeply. And when it comes to the small mindset shifts, it has to sink in deeply in order for it to actually lead to change. Because how often do I hear something? I'm like, ooh, that's a good thought. And then I never think it again. It's actually one of the reasons also why I love the Elegant Excellence Journal. And when I I mean, this isn't like a pitch for the journal. It's why I created the journal, right? Like I only created it because I was looking for this thing in my life and then it was helping me and it was helping you. And so we kept, I kept evolving it over the years. But when the journal is of the most value to me is when I'm flipping back to my previous pages. When I'm rereading, either I'm going back to the portrait section and I'm revisiting the lessons that I learned from last year the things I'm wanting to remember for the years ahead, those sorts of things. I'm returning to our new pursuit section with those life coaching essays, which, yes, I wrote, but the number of times that y'all will reflect back to me, you'll DM me something, you'll share something in Elegant uh, Excellence Community, you'll post something on stories where you're reminding me of something I said in a previous podcast episode. And I'm like, I have no memory of saying that because I just, it doesn't all sink in. When I'm reflecting back on the priorities pages, things like these anchoring phrases, or even on the rare times when I will reread my presence pages, our daily pages, and I will take a, a, a highlighter or a colored pen and I will kind of go through and like underline the things that really stand out to me again in the same way that I would with a great book where you go through and underline it and then you want to go back and reread the underlines because you really want it to sink in. We all have that wisdom inside of us. And when we go reread our own words, like, I do believe we are our greatest teacher. At, at, with taking in so much from the collective and having mentors and and teachers and people that walk alongside us, it's not that we're um, in a silo and isolated all on our own, but we take all that information in and then we process it through our unique personality, our unique childhood wounds and trauma, what our inner child needs to hear, what season we're in in life. And so rereading, it's like your own, I've never thought about this way, but it's like the Allogative Excellence Journal is your book that you are writing that, and, and, and the best teachers write what they need to learn and hear. Right. Like Glennon Doyle isn't writing untamed because she's like, oh, I mean, I haven't had an issue with this for 20 years. I'm just telling you guys what I already know. She's writing it because she's like, this is I am trying to undo this lifetime of indoctrination and not pass it on to my daughters. And here is what I am trying to figure out for myself. I need to keep revisiting this, re remembering this. So that is all to say that this anchoring phrase, that to me is what an anchoring phrase is, of I don't have time to rush. It's really powerful emotionally when you think about a parent who has a year left to build memories and experiences and relationship with a young child. So big. But it also has been surprisingly so practical in lowering my stress in regular ordinary everyday things so first in the cosmic like that idea of you know having a year left with your small child it does help me in those moments I've thought about it when I'm on the phone with my dad and I'm multitasking and I don't really need to be multitasking and to be totally fair and anyone who knows my father who's listening to this will get it My dad loves to storytell. He will tell me stories he's told before. He will go into extreme detail about things that do not relate to me. So, you know, we all have those conversations in our life. You're holding space for the person to talk, but you aren't necessarily, you know, clinging to their every word. But I still will just remind myself, I don't have time to rush. These conversations with my dad are precious. And I... The, the the real power for me here, the real nuance in this teaching that I w- want us to catch in this conversation is that within that same phrase, we can either be focused on the fear and scarcity from a really negative perspective. I can be thinking, my dad is going to die one day. What if my dad dies in a week? What if this is the last conversation that I have with my dad and I wasn't present? How much am I going to regret that? that is not that is not helpful to me at all that doesn't feel good it's not the way i want to live my life in fear but that same phrase i also can choose to soak it in as a kindness a kind reminder to be present in the moment not from that fear filled place but just from the the gratitude, the presence, the I don't want to rush through my life. I don't want to be ungrateful for these moments. I want a little reminder to choose less but better. A conversation, even if it's a weekly conversation, doesn't have to be a once in a lifetime conversation, once a year conversation. But this conversation is more important than what else I'm doing. So even if I am multitasking, what's the Am I still really mentally present here? If I'm scrolling on my phone while on the phone call, that is, I'm not being present. If I'm cleaning up the kitchen, okay, I can do that. But once I start getting to sorting mail, now my brain has to really be thinking, do I want to save this? Should I open this? Should I put this in the office? Should I leave this for Jeremy? And it's just that little reminder. I don't have time to rush through this conversation with my dad. So be present to it. And it gives me those little moments of pause where I realize I actually can just, you know what, I'm just going to leave the mail there. I'm not going to try to multitask this in the middle. But I also use it so much for the practical that is not that fear-based of, am I going to miss out on this moment with my child, with my parent, whatever. It is, if I really don't want to be late for this appointment then I don't have time to rush around the house frantically trying to get there because I am more likely to leave the house, realize once I get to the elevator that I forgot something, turn around, come back, get my keys out, go back in. I'm actually more likely to make myself late if I am rushing than if I pause and say to myself, I don't have time to rush because I'm running a little late for this appointment. So let's just take a beat. What is it that we need? We need our keys, our phone, our earbuds, our wallet, our sunglasses. Okay, where are those five things? Great, I'm going to put them in the purse. Okay, am I good? Take a beat. Now walk out. I've actually saved myself time by not rushing. And that by slowing down, by not rushing, my body and brain stay more calm and clear. You know, the... NBA playoffs are going on right now, if anyone else is an NBA fan or a wife of an NBA fan. And I heard a player the other day in the post game I have no idea what, what game this was, and he said, like, how were you, you know, you guys did so well today, something. He said something to the effect of, I just told myself, you've, I can't, I think he maybe said heart rate. I, I just have to keep my heart rate down. I just have to keep my heart rate down. And I've been thinking about that the last couple of weeks, and I noticed, like, we went to a playoff game for um, for my team, the Brooklyn Nets, and I found myself, like, sort of silently saying that because I'm a very engaged, active fan. And I was like, just keep your heart rate down. Just keep your heart rate down. That's what I'm sort of, like, chanting to the guys when it's, like, getting a little tense. I'm like, just keep your heart rate down. Because what he knows as someone who has to be able to control his body at an elite level in high-stress, high-stakes situations, what he what he was saying— is I can't afford to rush. If I start to get frantic, then I'm going to start to make mistakes. And if I keep my heart rate down and I stay in you know, something else in my life, I've been really thinking about staying in your gut versus in your chest, like your chest, meaning like above your breast, like up by your, you know, your clavicle, um, like up up where your lungs are, that's where we're shallow breathing. That's where the franticness comes. When you're in your gut, if you put your hand like down in your belly, below your belly button, that's where we do deep breathing. And when we stay in that place, we can keep our heart rate down. We can stay calm. That allows our body to stay out of fight or flight. It allows therefore our brain to stay more open to thinking our our brain, our, our sort of vision of focus doesn't narrow so much. So really what that player is saying is I don't have time to rush. And when there's, you know, eight seconds left in a game and you're down by two and you've got a score to taking it over time with two or, or score three to win, you don't have time to rush. You can't be frantic in those eight seconds. That actually matters more Then when you're up a little bit, it's early in the game, you actually could be like getting a little messy and it's maybe not going to be that big of a deal. And I also thought about it in problem solving. Like when you're in an intense, I was having an intense conversation where the stakes felt really high and your brain starts to go to, if this doesn't go well, then what? You know, maybe you're in a, interview like I had a friend in this situation recently you're in an interview and you're thinking this interview isn't gonna isn't going well what if I don't get this job what am I gonna do you're not being present in the moment that like we're in this conversation now though let me not think about what's happening tomorrow and that you actually can't afford if you really care about this thing you can't afford To have part of your brain distracted and and rushing ahead to what am I going to do tomorrow if this doesn't go well? I need to stay present with my full brain here to keep problem solving it, not worrying about what if I don't problem solve it. Uh, This is too important to rush, so I need to stay present in this. And it's all really about calming the nervous system. And sometimes it's those little elements of problem solving. Like maybe your kid is kind of being annoying, kind of, you know, being stressful whatever. And you're thinking, oh, this is derailing my day. But if you'll actually, if you say, I don't have time to rush. So I actually need to slow down and focus on this child and figure out how to help them. So I actually close the loop and have solved this. So I can go back to what I need to get done. And if I don't slow down to focus on this, does it stay more of an open loop throughout the day? Does it cause more problems? Even yesterday, it was our first day where it was just going to be Jeremy and I alone with Aaron. And his sister was saying like, okay, here's how you did the blood pressure monitor. And she ran through it really fast. And I was like, I actually did not follow that. And I was aware, I don't want to say okay. Because this is, and it's not life or death. It's not super high stress. We could go get a nurse, et cetera. It's not like he's, you know, gonna die on our watch. That's not the, the state that he's in. But if I actually want to be of help, then I need to go slow so that I really do help the situation, whether that's ourselves or someone else. In this case, if I'm gonna actually help Aaron with his blood pressure. Or in the case of your child, if you're actually going to help yourself get back on track, diffuse the meltdown. You know, I'm not a parent yet, so I'm not giving parenting advice, but I notice that in some of the things that will pop up every once in a while on Instagram, I don't follow parenting accounts or anything, but sometimes you'll see something and I'll realize, you know what that, what that parenting technique is doing is saying, I don't have time. I don't want to spend my time in stuck in this chaos. So I'm actually going to slow down. I'm not going to rush through helping my kid process this because that's actually going to save me time, whether that's tonight, whether that's over the next month, whether that's over the next, you know, 10 years with this child. But this concept of time is also so interesting because for me right now to process, because being here with Aaron, this feels so slow for him. I mean, he is – with a spinal cord injury, it's really interesting. People often are like, how's Aaron doing? Is he better? It's like, well, define better. What elements are you asking about? Because if you're asking about his overall paralysis, like, yeah, we've got a muscle twitch on the left bicep now that we're celebrating. But if you're not really familiar with spinal cord injuries, I don't think that's what you mean by better. I think you mean, like, can he move his arms now? And – so I will always set people's expectation or I've started doing this with saying, you know, they're like, oh, is he better? And I'm like, well, the doctors say we'll know more in a year. And then I'll go on to explain other things to, to say, this is a very long game. The a spinal cord injury takes a very long time to heal. And one to three years is when we will know what is coming back in his body. And so back to last week's episode on, Waiting well, there is a lot of that. So, on the one hand, there is so much slowness in this experience, and the progress is so teeny tiny incremental. And yet, you also don't want to rush the little elements in it. You don't want to rush. Yesterday, he was having issues regulating his blood pressure, and the physical therapist was explaining when this number gets below 40 we risk not getting oxygen to your vital organs which could do long term damage so i know that you want to get down to the pt room because you want to do the strength exercises because you want to get this momentum back but we also can't afford to rush because we don't want to damage your liver you know, in the meantime so it's like that is happening that that element of it, that means there's really this duality that there is so much slowness in the process. And yet every single day, there's little tiny tweaks that happen that are this intention. We don't just sit with the blood pressure. We have lots of conversations throughout the day. Okay, what are we going to do about the blood pressure? Are we, we don't want to rush past it. We want to say, how can we actually fix this? Are we going to adjust the medication? Are we going to do higher compression socks? Are we going to change the time of day of bowel care? Are we going to get them out of the chair more? And so being in this, I don't know if it's a liminal space, maybe this duality of absolute slowness of one to three years to see if you are going to be able to regain mobility of your body and yet simultaneously not wanting anyone around you to rush because these little elements add up and do make such a difference and can even just like when they, they turn him every two hours in the middle of the night because they're, uh, con- the concern is bed sores. And even there, he was saying, sometimes certain nurses turn me and it's great. Certain nurses turn me and it's not, meaning it's not very comfortable, like the position of the of the pillow or the angle he's in or his torso is a little bit contorted and slouched. But he's like, I can't, I can't explain what to do because he doesn't have Full sensation. So you or I would be able to say, it feels like something's digging in kind of around my ribs. I think my shirt maybe is crumpled there, and that's what I'm feeling. He can't, he just knows something is off, but he can't identify what it is. And I thought, no, I don't know. I'm not I'm not criticizing the nurses by any means. I'm not saying that they are rushing. But I thought when you were wanting a patient to get as good of sleep as a human being can get when you are waking them every two hours, which means for their entire two months in here, they are never going to get into REM sleep. I mean, that's no small thing. Then I thought, you want to say, we don't have time to rush. We want to get you back to sleep as quickly as we can. We want to make this go fast, but also we want you to sleep well. So we want to do it well. That duality that you observe so much in the hospital is really fascinating when this has already been unanchoring phrase I've been considering in my own life for for many months outside of this. And as we talked about last week, so many of us are in this waiting season. So much of life is waiting in very different ways. I am there with you. Aaron is there with us. But it's also this awareness, and he and I were talking about this, of being present also to not Rush past or miss the moment. Because as horrible as this season is, I also said to him, there's also a gift that you get more time with your family than you would ever have gotten. And you get this time to work on yourself. Like your yourself is your whole project, your mindset, your visualization. You're not spending eight hours working a day working for somebody else on whatever their projects are. He's like in, in IT and tech and software like Jeremy is. And you're, you're not spending that time. Now, of course, in the long run, financially, we, we got to get back to work. And we all do want to have a purpose and contribute. We don't want to just walk around thinking about our own thoughts all the time. But it's almost like a spiritual experience in some ways where you get this – We don't know how long, six-month period where you are just getting to focus on, you are invited to focus on your your thoughts all day. So there's just so many layers to this, to being more present when we think about the cosmic fleeting nature of life, our life, of enjoying the journey, as cheesy as that phrase sounds, but everyone knows what it means when we're in that waiting space that we talked about last week, but also in these tiny little practical moments. Like just last night, last night was the first night that Jeremy stayed with Aaron in the hospital. And I drove, um, I got home and I couldn't find the sound machine. And we're staying in a home that someone on Instagram offered us for a month. It is just amazing. It just was so generous. Um, And, but it's an old house and it creaks. And so I am, and also I couldn't get the door I couldn't get the door to lock, um, long story, but the the door wasn't working. I couldn't get the door to lock. I live in a huge, like doorman building in New York city. I know for other people, it seems weird to y'all that you're like, other people can see into your apartment. Isn't that like, still feel creepy to you. I'm like, guys, you live on the ground floor and there's no security guard outside your building. Doesn't that feel creepy to you? Like now that I've had that life I am more bothered by the quietness of an old creaky house where it's just me and my sister-in-law and I can't lock the door and the curtains were open when I pulled up and all the lights are inside. So of course, I'm sure we are in a very safe neighborhood in Salt Lake City and nobody is sitting outside the house like watching that these two women are there by themselves at night. But still, I was feeling a little creeped out. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep if I can't find the sound machine because I hear every little creak in the house and I'm now thinking, does that creak mean that somebody just opened the door and walked in and I'm, you know, about to befall an intruder? Um, So I was like, I I have that little moment of panic, right, where you're like, I'm tired, I'm a little creeped out, I got to find the sound machine. And you have that moment, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, where you're like, (sighs) where did my partner put the sound machine? Because I hung it on the back of the door. And then I remember looking and noticing that it wasn't there. And I thought that I saw that he had moved it to the the bench. But now I'm looking on the bench and I can't find it. And I'm looking around and I can't find it. And I'm getting frustrated as though he like did something, you know, intentionally unkind to me or intentionally thoughtless. So I text him, where's the sound machine? And I don't hear back. And I'm about to like text frustrated of like, Ugh, I'm so annoyed that I can't find this because I'm freaked out, whatever. And then I'm just like, we don't have time to rush. Like that's a rushed response that's taking away his time to be present with Aaron in the hospital. And whether that's just being focused and enjoying the time with him or whether that's helping – Aaron get ready for bed or whether he's trying to drift off to sleep and stay calm because he's not going to get a lot of sleep. I was like, he doesn't have time for me to rush him. And so by not rushing through the text and not sending it, I found the sound machine, you know, five minutes later, he had put it up on the ledge and it was fine. And I was grateful that I hadn't rushed in the moment, which is something I am very bad at in those little cases. I, and I'm, no, I'm not alone in this, um, but I am bad at like sending off the text or or speed reading the email that is stressful and that I don't really get all of the information. And so that's another way that I've been saying, if you don't have time to rush and create more chaos, take a beat before you send that text, take a beat before you reply to that email, which honestly, you're a little bit in fight or flight, so I don't think you read it all the way and you may have missed some you know salient details. But all of this to me is that this these little awarenesses are how we get, how we become more healthy and present and self-evolved in the bigger things. When we focus on the bigger things, that, that this originally came from this mother with the terminal illness, and if we focus just on that, like, I can't rush this conversation with my dad, I can't rush, rush this conversation with my kids or whatever, we're then focused just on that fear, that fear that people will die, fear that we will die. That is so hard to process, because everyone will eventually die. We will eventually die. We're obviously not great at humans at accepting this, even though it is the reality of every single human being since the dawn of mankind. And yet we still don't know how to process it. So for us to leap to that, we're just not going to get very far. We're going to stress ourselves out, feel really anxious and pressure filled, and then not really have any application other than I feel anxious. So What I'm thinking is if we go the other way and we start with the really small shifts, like I can't afford to rush if I don't want to be late to this appointment, I can't afford to rush and send this text and then create more drama and chaos, you know, if we focus on the little things then we add up that tiny awareness, the little self-checks. We build that muscle in the teeny tiny things that are much more feasible, much more and much more repeatable and much less traumatic to sit and think through than somebody might die. It's, it's positive. It, it all happens within a one minute, a five minute window. We've done it. We've closed the loop. We feel better. We celebrate the little wins. And that when that adds up, is how ultimately three years from now we're being more present really substantively in our body, in our skin, in the bigger conversations. But it starts by just not rushing to get out the door when you're five minutes late, not rushing to send the text when you're feeling triggered and saying to yourself, I don't have time to rush. I don't have time to rush. I would love to hear your applications of how this hits you and how this shows up for you. Please share over at Instagram stories, tag me. Um, If you're a member of our Elegant Excellence community, come expand on the conversation over there. We always talk about the podcast episode um, each week, as well as just all throughout the week, really what is coming up for us as we are using our Elegant Excellence journal moving through the Healing Burnout course and continuing the conversations that we have here and on Instagram stories. So I am so grateful always to be on this journey of life with you and I will see you back here. Well, not back here in a rental car, but you know, metaphorically back here uh, next Wednesday with Grace and Gumption. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is not having a car. I have felt so nervous the last day and a half having to drive a car here. And I want to say before I talk about cars, I don't mean this as in because I know the majority of you have a car. And so I don't mean this as in, oh, guys, my life is so much better than yours because I don't have a car. What I want you to think about is what do you love that you do not have to do in your life Like you love that you are out of the diapers phase or you don't have to shovel snow because of where you live or you don't have to commute like that little moment of gratitude for something that many, many other people do daily. And that has just not been a part of your story for so many years. You often don't even think about it. So it's not about my life is better than other people's like, oh, how do you do that? I got to say, I loathe it when people say things like that. I don't know how you live in a city like that. I just and it's this sense of like my life choices are better than yours as opposed to, oh, that's interesting that either that there's other pros in your life. This kind of goes back to our whole decision making podcast series if you scroll back. It's like a three part series that y'all loved. But um, there's obviously other pros in your life that you are doing this. And it's the other pros in New York City that are why I'm living there. But I also love not having a car. Now, this has been heightened this week because I never drive a car. So I am, I'm not, I'm more nervous doing it. Number one. Number two, um, it is sometimes rainy here. It is late night. I'm tired when I'm driving. So that of course makes it a little more intense. And then also there was a, um, did I say this at the top of the episode guys, this is where my, my brain is at, but, um, my someone in the family got into a little accident, um, the first day that we were here, it was not a big deal, but it's because they are burned out. It's because they, this is an incredibly stressful situation. And I mentioned earlier about like the turning every two hours and they have spent an exorbitant amount of nights at the hospital, which means they haven't gotten deep REM sleep for probably 80% of the nights in the last month while also spending all day at the hospital, you know, just everyone's life is 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 in chaos when of, of the core family that is, this is their life 24-7 basically now. So completely understandable. But I then go from, we've just been in the hospital where we're seeing one family member have an who, who had an accident. Now we observe another accident, this time with a car while we're driving home. Now I have to hop in the driver's seat for the first time and drive this person because they're feeling shaken, get back to the hospital. And I'm driving home so slowly. Also, the rental car does not have... Like, do you have something that holds your phone so that you can navigate? The rental car doesn't have that. Sometimes there's like a little dip next to the console where it sits. It does not have this. So I literally have to hold the phone up to the right of me and drive with one hand. And I don't know where I'm going. And dear Salt Lake City, your street names are whack. The street names are like in in 900 free turn right on North 3985 Southwest. They're like, wait, everything is a number or a direction? Like, the streets aren't just like Magnolia Boulevard. They're like 1900 South. Like, but, it, but you also just told me in 700 feet to do, there's like, oh my gosh, it's so much. So I am driving so slow and I am thinking to myself, I am going to get pulled over by, by someone who, by a police officer who either is like, why are you on your phone? Or why are you driving so slow? And you know, you like pre-rehearse. I'm going to be like, Hi there. Um, So I haven't driven a car in years. I just got here yesterday. Uh, This is my first time driving the rental car. My brother-in-law is in the hospital um, because he had an accident. And then my sister-in-law just had an accident. So I just, I can't damage this car. I don't have anybody else who can come pick me up if I am on the side of the road with a car. Because we already can't get the other car to start. And um, it was just one of those you know, to the nth degree moments where I was like, you know what? I just put in my podcast and I just walk to the subway and I just get on that subway and I don't have to think about anything. I just get in the back of that Uber and I can just be chatting on a phone call and my brain can just be totally present. And so I'm just going to give gratitude and I'm, but I also going to tell myself, I don't have time to rush. That's what I kept saying. I don't have time to rush. It is nighttime. It is raining. It is raining. We do not want to have another incident with a car. So just go slow. I don't, and even mentally rush because the mental rush would be, I'm really listening to the song on the radio. I am, you know, having a phone conversation with someone. My, my brain now is going a little faster because I'm trying to do two things at once. So I was like, actually not rushing is also solo tasking while I'm doing this and just focusing on the task at hand. It's a 20 minute drive. That's not that much. You can do it and you can get home. So anyways, I just want to say to all of you people who drive cars, you do an amazing thing every single day. And you probably take it for granted how good you are at it and how naturally you do it. But I just want to give you a round of applause because I think you are amazing that you were driving these cars without stress every day and you should feel very proud of yourself. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go in, have lunch with Aaron, and um, transition back into the hospital world. Um, but I have loved spending this time with you and it does make me feel, I mean, all of these conversations that I have, the podcast, Instagram stories, it's all about making us all feel less alone. I feel less alone when I share only because you then share in return and say that this made you feel less alone. If I was just talking into the void, then it wouldn't make me feel any better. Um, but this really is all about our reciprocal relationship and how our circumstances can be so different, but there is such commonality beneath it that we are all walking through and we are all just wanting to do it 10% better this year, this season. And I am so proud of all of us because we are absolutely doing that. I will see you soon with grace and gotcha. You're welcome in advance. Till next Wednesday.